Today, Rinpoche continued the explanation of the lack of true establishment of all phenomena, citing Arya Deva's 400 verses that once you understand the emptiness of one, you understand the emptiness of all. Once you recognize the emptiness of an object such as a pot because of dependent origination, you recognize that all other phenomena have that same quality. I'm going to go with it. Dig song, Rinpoche. Oh, yeah. That long is Jibba Chungun Lang, Jibba Ndinga Lang, Jibba Shimbi Lang Sung. Less so. That Jibba Chungun Lang is Mugga Jumun Chujin Da Jandu, Dilla Din Dindur Ndruya. Less so. Then the Lhaba Sung Jibba Ndinga Lang, Dilla Din Thaba Ndruya. Less so. Then the Shanju Ga Senta Shindu Lang Sung, Jibba Shimbi Lang, Dilla Din Swanji Gumun Sal Ndruya. Less so. So welcome everyone to the Chen Rezig Tibetan Buddhist Center. Once again, we're looking at and studying Lama Tsongkhapa's great treatise on the stage of the path to enlightenment. And we're currently in the English third volume. Uh, we'll be beginning on page 298 today. Uh, and in the Tibetan, there is only one volume, so it's not broken into these three different sections. Uh, but in English it is, and we're grateful that the translation committee spent so much time to be able to make these three volumes. Um, so we're on the third, it's C, uh, but it's number three in the Tibetan, so they've chosen A, B, C, D um, in the Tibetan, it's just a number system. Uh, so yes, we're on page 298C. So what this text does is it summarizes all of Lord Buddha's teachings into three categories. It's a commentary on Atisha's lamp for the path to enlightenment, and that text showed one how a practitioner could go from the very beginning stages of introduction to Buddhism, introduction to the Buddhist path, to the final stages uh, of enlightenment, and how he or she would do so. So Lord Atisha's text broke the teachings down into three major categories in an in order that, were gra that is graduated stages that a practitioner is able to engage in directly in that order. So they're called the teachings for beings of three capacities, um, and the, each capacity um, uh, has as its feature some sort of result. So the first category is called the teachings shared in common with beings of small capacity. Um, and the result of these practices uh, is a higher realm rebirth. So one is able to achieve rebirth in the gods, demigods, and humans. So he or she engages in going for refuge to the three jewels, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, engages in ethical behavior that abandons the ten non-virtuous activities, and acknowledges any downfalls um, related to negativity. And in dependence upon those practices, he or she achieves that higher realm rebirth. The next category of teachings is for a practitioner who is mentally slightly more advanced in terms of their scope or in terms of their desired result. And this is for a practitioner who wishes to end cyclic existence altogether, but just for him or herself, uh, not in relation to others and in relation to all sentient beings having this sort of freedom, um, just in relation to oneself. So this practitioner who wishes to achieve their individual nirvana, uh, a cessation, engages in the three highest higher trainings, the highest higher training in ethics, 
highest higher training in concentration and the highest higher training in wisdom. And in dependence upon those practices, uh, coupled with the previously mentioned practices in the small capacity, he or she is able to achieve an individual nirvana. And then the final category is for the practitioner who wishes to not only achieve uh, an individual liberation, but wishes to become a Buddha in order for all sentient beings to arrive at that cessation as well. So for the sake of others' liberation or for the sake of other sentient beings. So this practitioner engages in the uh, two um, categories already mentioned as foundational practices of the small and medium scope. That's why they're called in common because those are common to whichever practices are above them. Um, and so in, in, in this practitioner engages in those previously mentioned practices and couples them with the generation of the mind that aspires to enlightenment, bodhicitta, um, and then with that mind that is called the Buddha mind, a mind that wishes to become a Buddha, he or she engages in the six perfections for that reason, in order to become a Buddha. Um, so this is the engaged form of his or her bodhicitta. Um, so in dependence upon those practices, he or she is able to achieve complete Buddhahood. So the medium scope practitioner is only able to get rid of the afflictive obstructions, so therefore he or she is not omniscient. There are still lingering imprints of those afflictions that disallow him or her uh, to be all-knowing. So in order to be all-knowing, the practitioner must remove the obstructions to omniscience, which requires all of the practices in the great scope that are not in common with the small and medium scope. Uh, so, <coughs> <coughs> Pombo,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天,天天
تاجو زمتے بیچ روز جو بل ہے دل پھومتے نہیں سو بہت شر پھومتی سوں دائیں شے سو یہ ہاں ダダダグマイニャンペナシンタポルタソジソジンラソバナジビチェチェバラワチェバテネシンタジョバジンドゾラソバツビイチェバラチェバワラダドドコジャドオナイネソジンコナコナラユビナ ラソバダトダトメバメバルメバルジュテイシェナイシェナイシェナズズテンラユユシュユシュチェラテダニダチェムチェムジョロチェンジョロ センスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセンスセン
Sitä tutapasna leperä saalaa. Mä sen pääsiellä, että ne raakii chendawa yönä. Tänne raakii tänne yönä. Chitaari leimenta yö. Tsuitaan. Tänne chara kelanvalla. Nöjyi yölu. Meisheba saalaa. Nöjyi nöjyi tonyyngeba. Trampi tarra kansalla raakii. Chonsi chan mento nyanpe ngapa ha tenpa shate tonsu la tenta mento jang. Di song. Ya. The shugu kanga le kanga lo sen. Ah. They need sampa dig song. Dig song. Dig song, dig song. Okay, so. I'm gonna do some reading. Okay, so page 298C, how those arguments also refute each of the remaining positions. If the self and the aggregates were intrinsically different, there would be two ways in which they could be basis independent, like yogurt in a bowl. Either the self could exist in dependence upon the aggregates, or the aggregates could exist in dependence upon the self. However, as in the explanation of the chariot, since they are not intrinsically different, they do not exist as basis and dependent. Chandrakirti's commentary on the middle way states, The self does not intrinsically depend on the aggregates, and the aggregates do not intrinsically depend on the self. While such conceptions could be correct if they were, intrinsic, if they were intrinsically indifferent, intrinsically different. Uh, since they are not intrinsically different, those are misconceptions. The position that the self possesses the aggregates is also similar to what was explained with regard to the chariot, so it should be understood accordingly. Chandrakirti's commentary on the Middle Way states, We do not hold that the self possesses the aggregate of form. Why? Since the self does not exist, possession by the self is meaningless. If they are different, then it's like having cattle. If not, then it is like having form. However, the self is neither the same as nor different from form. Having cattle is, for example, Devadatta's having oxen. Having form is, for example, Devadatta's having form. Is a mere group of aggregates the self? This is also incorrect because the self is said to be imputed in dependence upon the five aggregates and is not tenable for the basis of imputation to be the object imputed. The commentary on the middle way. Um, so actually, where it just correct. It's important. This is also incorrect because the self is said to be um, imputed upon uh, independence upon the five aggregates. Um, it should say imputed a, a dependence upon among the five aggregates um, because the self is also posited in the formless realm where there are only four aggregates. So that's actually a really, it's important that that part of the definition is present because um, it just has to. It just has to say any among, um, because then this can be refuted um, if you're looking at a formless realm basis. Um, so I'll reread it. This is also incorrect because the self is said to be imputed in dependence upon the five aggregates. So in the definition is among the five aggregates, so that you can say, um, well, the formless realm, the self is imputed upon four aggregates as opposed to five aggregates. Um, so it covers all of cyclic existence if that among is within the definition. So it seems like not important, but just for the tape's sake and just for explanation um, sake, 
it should among the five just because of the example of the formless realm um, and it's not tenable for the basis of imputation uh, to be the object imputed the commentary on the middle way the Buddha's discourse said that the <coughs> self depends upon the aggregates therefore a mere group of aggregates is not the self Furthermore, Chandrakirti's commentary on the middle way and explanation of the middle way commentary state the fallacy that if a mere collection of aggregates were the self-agent and object would be one, the self-agent and object would be one. This is because anyone who claims that the self appropriates the individual aggregates must accept that it appropriates all five aggregates. Hence, it would be appropriate. Would hence it would appropriate the collection of the aggregates as well. This passage from the commentary on the middle way means that the collection is the basis to which the self is imputed but is not the self. This makes it clear that you must also assert such with regard to the continuum of the aggregates. Objection. Those are not the self. Rather, I posit the self as the particular shape of the collection of form and so forth. For example, when a chariot's wheels, axle, and so forth are assembled, this is considered a chariot if the distinctive shape of a chariot is found. Reply. Only what has form can have shape. So consciousness, etc., could not be posited as the self. The commentary on the middle way. Is it a shape? Since only what has form has shape. For you that alone would be called self. Collections of consciousness and so forth would not be the self since they have no shape. Just as a chariot does not intrinsically exist in any of the seven ways but is still posited in dependence upon its parts, the self does not intrinsically exist in any of the seven ways. One of the aggregates different from the aggregates and so forth, yet it is still imputed in dependence upon the aggregates. This proves what the Buddha stated succinctly, treating the chariot and self as an example and exemplified. D. How the person appears like an illusion based on that refutation. Illusion is said to have two meanings. Statements that the ultimate truth is like an illusion, for instance, mean that although it is established as a merely existent, its true existence is negated. Statements that forms and such are illusions mean that what appears as a form while being empty of intrinsic existence is like an illusion. It is the latter of these that I am concerned with here. The latter also carries the meaning of illusion in the former sense. It is not always certain that the former usage carries the meaning of illusion in its latter sense. How do you establish this latter sense of illusion? You use two kinds of awareness, one that apprehends an appearance and one that ascertains emptiness. For example, how can you know that an appearance of a horse or elephant is an illusory or false appearance. You need both a visual consciousness that sees an illusory horse or elephant and a mental consciousness that knows that the horse or elephant does not exist as it appears. Likewise, to be certain that the person, for instance, is an illusory or false appearance, you need both the undeniable appearance of the person to be a conventional consciousness and the ascertainment by reasoned knowledge that the person is empty of essential or intrinsic existence. Reasoned knowledge does not establish the appearance exists, while the conventional valid cognition does not establish that it is empty of intrinsic existence. Consequently, you need both reasoned knowledge that searches to see whether things intrinsically exist and conventional awareness that apprehend forms and such as an existent. While some say that there are many ways to make a form appear like an illusion, it is unnecessary to exert yourself at techniques for generating such. For such appearances spontaneously present themselves to the conventional consciousness that apprehend and those forms. Analyzing them often with reasoning that examines whether they intrinsically exist, you develop a strong certainty that intrinsic existence is refuted. 
Then when you see an appearance arise, it appears like an illusion. There is no separate way to set up an illusion like emptiness. Earlier teachers used the term space-like emptiness to refer to an emptiness that is the mere elimination by reason knowledge of intrinsic production cessation and forth in appearing object. They used the term illusion-like emptiness to refer to the to refer to the subsequent appearance of forms and such, which appears to be intrinsically existence while being known as actually empty of intrinsic existence. Thus, even when you are engaged in the behavioral aspects of the practice, prostrating, circumambulating, and reciting, etc., you should first use reason to analyze whether these practices intrinsically exist and refute their intrinsic existence. By engaging in those practices under the way of certainty that the appearances uh, certainty that the practices do not intrinsically exist, you learn to raise illusion-like appearance and do not and, and to do those practices within that appearance. If you understand that vital point, you will have a solid understanding of how the force of having cultivated space-like emptiness in meditative equipoise gives rise to illusion-like emptiness in the post-equipoise state. Also, as examined above, if you fail to limit the object of negation when you use reason to investigate whether the self and the aggregates are one, different, and so forth, then when you see the arguments that contradicts those positions, you will think persons and such do not exist at all. Or things such as persons or non-things, empty of all function like the horns of a rabbit and such. This is a nihilistic view. Therefore, you should be aware that this is a point where you slip with regard to the correct view. Arya Deva's 400 verses says, If this were so, how, then how could it be said that existence is like an illusion? Chandrakirti's commentary on the 400 stanzas comments, when you see dependent arisings as they are, they are like creations of a magician, not like the son of a barren woman. Qualm, because the analysis, this analysis completely refutes production, it teaches that compound phenomena are not even not produced. Reply, if that were so, then they would not be like illusions. If you could comprehend things with examples such as the son of a barren woman, then it would follow that Dependent arisings do not exist. I am wary of this, so I do not make that comparison. Rather, I compare them to illusions and such, examples that do not contradict those dependent arisings. Thus, there would be a fallacy if the reason knowledge that searches to see whether things intrinsically exist were to apprehend the merely illusory or existent, yet you definitely must develop in place of the intrinsic existence that is refuted under rational analysis and apprehension of the existence of things that are merely illusory. So there is no fallacy for Chandakirti's commentary on the 400 stanzas says that an illusory object must be left as a remainder. So, when you analyze in this way, things are not established as intrinsically existent. Hence, the illusoriness of individual things is left as a remainder. When you refute the essential or intrinsic existence of a seedling, as long as the effectiveness of a reasoning does not deteriorate, reason analyzes whether intrinsic existence is tenable. You do not develop an apprehension of the seedling as intrinsically existent. However, if you think that the seedling's lack of intrinsic existence is truly existent, or that the illusion-like appearance of that which is empty of intrinsic existence is truly is itself truly existent, this is a mis misapprehension that you must refute using reasoning. Some think that beyond this, even the apprehensions of the illusory as, exi as existent involves clinging to the apprehension of illusoriness, and thus must be eliminated. Pay no heed to this notion, or else you will incur a great fallacy, namely that 
any certainty about dependent arising would be impossible. I have already explained this several times. This is undoubtedly a case of failing to distinguish between the existence of the illusory object and the true existence of the illusory object. When your analysis of an object uses reason to obliterate it, you think it is not there. Then, as you also see the analyzer yourself in that same way there is no one even to ascertain that non-existence so with no way to determine what something is or not begins to seem that what it appears has become vague and indistinct this becomes about this comes about based upon reason refuting everything which without distinguishing intrinsic existence and its absence from mere existence and its ab and its absence from mere existence and its absence. Thus, the sort of emptiness is an emptiness that destroys dependent arising. Therefore, illusoriness, as we use the term, definitely does not refer to the arising of a vague, intrinsic appearance brought on by this kind of realization. Therefore, upon reason analysis, you come to think this person lacks even the slightest essential or objective existence. On that basis, it is not difficult to simply... Simply to have these appearances seem to seem vague and indistinct. That sort of appearance comes to everyone who aspires to an understanding of Madhyamaka tenets and hears a little of the teaching that shows how things lack intrinsic nature. Still, it is difficult to develop certainty about both the complete refutation of essential or intrinsic nature and the presentation of those very persons who lack intrinsic nature as accumulators of karmas, experiencers of the object, effects of karma, and so forth. It is scarcely happens that someone combines the capacity to posit both of these, so it is very difficult to find the Madhyamaka view. Without that combination, it is undeniable that as certain about the philosophical view increases, certainty about the behavioral aspects of the practice decreases. Insofar as certainty about the behavioral aspects increases, certainty about the view decreases. There is no way to develop equally strong certainty about both. Therefore, you will definitely fall either into one extreme, the superimposition conceiving intrinsic existence, the eternalistic view, the view of things as intrinsic, existing intrinsically, or else the other extreme, the mistaken denial holding that things are devoid of the capacity to perform functions, the nihilistic view, the view of things as utterly non-existent. Thus the King of Concentration Sutras says, Then the conqueror, who is without sin and endowed with the ten powers, explained the supreme concentration. The states of cyclic existence are like a dream. Herein there is neither birth nor death. Living beings, humans, and even life are not found. These things are like foam, like a plantain tree, like an illusion, like a flash of lightning, like the reflection of the moon in water, like a mirage. There is no one who dies in this world and passes or migrates to another. Still actions done are never lost and virtuous and non-virtuous effects ripen in this world in the world neither permanent nor falling into annihilations actions neither accumulate nor endure yet you cannot do actions without meeting their effects nor do you experience the effects of others actions thus even though reason does not find the person who makes the passage at death and birth and death and virtuous and non-virtuous effects do occur among illusion-like phenomena so you should be certain of what the sutra says that those who have done actions will not fail to contact or experience their effects and will not encounter the effects of actions they did not do, those effects being felt or experienced by the other persons who did those actions. Seek the re this assurance in the following manner, as previously explained from a clear concept of the object that the reason will be refuting. Then focus on how if there were such an intrinsically existent person, it 
could be one with or different from its aggregates and how reason contradicts both of these positions. Develop certainty in seeing this critique. Finally, solidify your certainty that the person does not even slightly exist intrinsically in the phase of meditating on emptiness. Practice this often. Hold on one sec. I just need to see where we go to. Practice this often. We go that far? Okay, good. Yep, just making sure. I think we're good. This is often. Okay. Dixon. <laughs> Raji Mabala, Tendi Tebe, Tendi Tebe, Telo La Soba, Pelane, Mengi, two Sande, Data Shebi, Data Shebi, Data Shebaji, Shebaji, Shiji, Malon Latene, Jawada, Jen Tada, Ngaji, Lubi, Lubi, Jiba, Jibani. Humanibaji,天门的白金,天门的白金,天门的白金,天门的白金,天门的白金,天门的白金,天门的白金,天门的白金,天门的白金,天门的白金,天门的白金,天门的白金,天门的白金,天门的白金,天门的白金,天门的
then that makes more sense. Well, when we get to there's a part in the English that just seems like not something we'll get there and I'll well we'll I'll show you and I just want to see if that's what is being said and it's not exactly so that makes it make sense. All right. Okay. Let me go back to where we were. Give me one moment, folks. We're on D, right? How the person appears like an illusion based on that refutation. Is that correct? Hold on, give me one sec. The qualm? Oh, then bring, okay, yep, exactly. Thank you so much. I'm trying to do a, and I was trying to look at this thing at the same time. Thank you. Then bring to mind the conventional person who is undeniably apparent. Turn your mind to dependent arising, wherein that person is posited as the accumulator of karma and the experiencer of effects, and be certain of how dependent arising is possible without intrinsic existence. When they seem contradictory, think about how they are not contradictory. Taking an example such as a reflection. A reflection of a face is undeniably a conjunction of one, being empty of the eyes, ears, and such that appear therein, and two, being produced in dependence upon a mirror and a face while disintegrating when certain of those conditions are gone. Certain of those conditions are gone. Likewise, the person lacks even a per- 
particle of intrinsic nature, but is the accumulator of karma and the experiencer of effects and is produced in dependence upon earlier karma and its afflictions. It is not a contradiction. Practice this thought and understand that it is like this in all cases. Qualm. Does certainty that reflections and such are empty of what appears a constitute knowledge that they lack intrinsic existence? If so, then the perceptions of ordinary beings would constitute knowledge of emptiness. Hence, they would be noble beings. If not, then how can reflections work as examples of the intrinsic lack of intrinsic existence in those persons and such. If you have to use a reason uh, that proves the absence of intrinsic existence even to understand the examples, then there would have to be an endless regression when you examine issues such as what to posit as examples for those examples. Reply by an earlier scholar. Although ordinary uh, beings have perceptual knowledge that reflections and such lack intrinsic existence, they are not noble being. They are not noble beings because they are. They only know the emptiness of a limited subject. In order to become a noble being, one must have a perceptual knowledge that all phenomena lack intrinsic existence. Our position: that reply is not right because Arya Davis 400 stanzas says that one who knows the emptiness, the lack of intrinsic existence of one thing, can know the emptiness of all phenomena. One who sees one thing is said to see everything. The emptiness of one thing is the emptiness of everything. So this is last week's question um, when we cited in Arya Davis 400 verses, <coughs> you see the emptiness of one, you see the emptiness of all. So if you have an understanding of the emptiness of any object of observation, all other phenomena's emptiness is arrived at in the same way. Therefore, you understand all all <coughs> which as a translator's note would negate this idea that one can can be a superior being while only knowing the absence of self of person um, one is a superior um, with once one understands the lack of true existence of all phenomena um, and and this is the proof in the Madhyamaka system that Aryadeva makes. He's saying that once you know the emptiness of one subject, you know the emptiness of all. So that why the self is empty is the same exact reason why everything else is empty. Uh, so, Therefore, someone who knows that a reflection is empty of being a face does not apprehend it as truly being a face, yet does not apprehend it as truly existent reflection. What contradiction is there in that? When uh, See here, this is the one where I have the question with Rinpoche. When young pre-verbal children see reflections of their faces, they play with them and so forth. Hence, they do not apprehend them as truly being faces. That's not, they apprehend them as truly being faces. So it's supposed to say that there's a misapprehension that's, being take, that's taken place. Uh, they are grasping a smile, any a small child, there is a grasping. Now, the child might not immediately know that that is him or her, so he or she is grasping at a self as, a, as an image, as really being there and being truly existent. But this passage see, appears like grasping at self is a learned subject, where it's not. Uh, this child is grasping at true existence uh, and here it's saying, Rinpoche is saying that the child thinks that the mirrored object is a real person that's there. That, that not, uh, uh, so Rinpoche is saying that the child doesn't um, see the lack of true establishment at all. It just sees a concrete, truly established object. 
So we, we'd have to work, whatever, I don't know. But I just, as I was reading and reading it side to side, the Tibetan didn't seem to have an, um, a negative. Um, they do not apprehend them. The, they do not doesn't seem to be in the Tibetan. So then that changes the whole meaning. Um, uh, um, anyway. Older verbal persons are certain that insofar as though reflections are not faces, they are empty of being faces. Yet they apprehend as intrinsically existence those very reflections that appear uh, to be faces. So they're saying that the older persons, maybe they know that that's not a real person there, but they still don't understand that that's not um, a, uh, an image that lacks intrinsic existence reflecting a being that lacks intrinsic existence. Um, so it's saying that even those elders that know that's not a person in the mirror, they still don't know that that reflection isn't intrinsically existent, and they don't know that they, the that which is being reflected, uh, the person being reflected, uh, isn't intrinsically existent. So it's saying that there's a misapprehension, even if you know correctly that it's just a mirrored object, uh, persons are still misapprehending the object because they believe that there is some true existence there. They're not apprehending the emptiness. So that's why all the senses except the mental consciousness always apprehend things incorrectly because we, the eye consciousness doesn't have the ability to understand anything but the object, singu the singular object it's apprehending and, and doesn't have the ability to understand its lack of evidence, of lack of true existence. It only sees the object in its to totality as a singular thing. So that's why it's the mental consciousness that's able to pick this apart. So anyway, so that's what Rinpoche and I were talking about, is that what the meaning of this is supposed to really be. That the little children that are, they don't know that uh, it's not a real person, um, but they don't know that thing, that not that thing they think is a real person is empty. So they're misapprehending it in two ways, and the older person's misapprehending it in one way. So, okay. Older verbal persons are certain that insofar as the reflections are not faces, they are empty of being faces, yet they apprehend as intrinsically existent those very reflections to appear to be faces. And just one more thing. We use that word emptiness, and it's always confusing, right? So here, you see what it's really supposed to mean. Absence, not there. So it's saying that the older person sees that it's empty of being a face there, meaning there's not a person there. There's not a real face there. It's empty of that. But they don't see that that image that isn't a real person is empty of intrinsic existence. They just see it as empty of being that real person. They're not seeing that it's empty. So they're they're apprehending one part correctly, but its actual nature incorrectly. The ap that apprehension is a, uh, is a conception of true existence. Um, e experience in our own mind stream proves that this is how we see reflections. Um, so we ascertain them as a reflection, but don't ascertain their lack of intrinsic existence of reflector and reflection and reflected. Nevertheless, reflections and so forth are appropriate examples for the lack of intrinsic existence. Why? We use those examples because perception establishes that they are empty of the entity they appear to be, uh, and thus they are not really what they appear to be. 
Um, they, they are empty of true existence. They don't have true existence. So you, could, you don't even need that word empty. You can say they, they don't have, so because perception establishes that they are empty of the entity that they appear to be, they don't have the entity they appear to. They don't have intrinsic existence. Um, it appears they do, but they don't have that. So every, I notice over the months we've been taught this word emptiness has been stumbling people up and I've been trying to figure out how to make it so it's not so difficult because it suddenly seems like a void and a place and, 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 and almost like its own, um, uh, like it, it's not empty itself. It's some like final nature of things that is like something that's concrete that has true establishment. And that word emptiness is merely meaning that it is void of something. Something isn't there. It's, it's missing something. It's empty of something. When a bucket is empty, it's empty of whatever would normally fill it, water. It's, the water's not there. The self, the true self isn't there. So, the Nama, the Tomba Ni Injike, the Triwa Mambo Jagadu, Nkali Kapudu, Me Mambo Tsampa, Tomba Ni Demba Drupa Yin. Then Konsu Tsampa, the Tomba Ni Hladandrardu. Kashe Tsampa, Tomba Ni Sacha Yin. Then a, then a, Doni Dopi Sherap, Tomba Ni Drogdu. Then a, then a, the Tomba Ni, the Tomba, the, 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 the Gayu, the, the, the Chala Mepa, the Gam Chala Mepa, the Gam Tomba. Gari Tomba, Chala Tomba, Chala Mepa, Dane Sonsa, Chala Tomba. Nevertheless, reflections and so forth are appropriate examples for the lack of intrinsic existence. Why? We use those examples because perception establishes that they are empty of the entity they appear to be, and thus they are not really what they appear to be. When valid cognition establishes this empty of really of of really being what it appears in relations to seedlings and such, then it knows the seedlings lack in, of intrinsic existence. In this way, seedlings and such are different from the reflections and such. Chandrakirti's commentary in the middle way says, just as things such as pots do not exist in reality, yet do exist in terms of what is familiar to the world. As an example of the lack of intrinsic existence, he states things such as pots to the advocates of intrinsic existence. Yet, as in the case of reflections and such, he refers to a limited emptiness and not their lack of intrinsic nature. This is because, as explained previously, many proofs of lack of intrinsic existence use chariots and such as examples. Similarly, in the case of a magician's illusion, the spectators apprehend it as truly being a horse or an elephant. The magician's knowledge that the horse or elephant is false is knowledge of a limited emptiness. In a dream, uh, you see an environment and its inhabitants. Upon waking, you understand that they are false and that they are empty of what they appear to be. Even while asleep, you may apprehend them in that way. In either case, you understand what appears to be men and women in a dream is devoid of being other men and devoid of being other men and women. Nevertheless, this does not constitute the knowledge that the dream is empty of intrinsic existence. So this is like the person understanding that the reflection isn't a real person there, but not understanding that the reflection in that reflected um, does not have true existence. So here, the person can awake from a dream and understand there weren't real people walking around in that dream, but he or she 
doesn't awake with the knowledge that that dream lacks intrinsic existence. Just like he or she, the, an older person apprehending an image in a mirror, knows that's not a person, just like the person woke up from a dream and knows there weren't people in the dream. But in both cases, if the person doesn't understand the nature of reality, they will not understand that both of those um, experiences were empty. Empty of what? Empty of true existence. True existence didn't exist in any of those cases. That's, that's what emptiness means. and doesn't mean anything more than that. True existence didn't exist in any of those cases. As cited earlier, Chandrakirti's commentary on the Middle Way says, things that are ascribed to mirages, magicians' illusions, and so forth, do not exist even for the world. So it's saying that everyone would agree that an illusion isn't real, but everyone wouldn't agree that that illusion isn't truly existent. Meaning that the illusion isn't what it appears to be, but it isn't what it appears to be in two ways, not one. This means that ordinary conventional valid cognition discredits consciousness that it apprehends as existent, the water, horses, elephants, men, and so forth, and so forth in mirages, illusions, and dreams. Therefore, the knowledge that the objects conceived of by those consciousnesses do not exist and not the view that knows the lack of intrinsic existence. So you should reflect upon the meaning of illusoriness as explained above, reciting the poetry of the profound sutra collections. Take this statement from the King of Concentration Sutra. Like a mirage, a phantom city, or an illusion, meditation associated with signs is empty of essence. Know that all phenomena are this way. The moon shines in a clear sky and its reflection appears in a clear lake, yet the moon has not removed into the water. Know that the character of all phenomena is like that. People in a wooded mountain range hear echoes from song, speech, laughter, and weeping, but what seems to be there is not. Know that all phenomena are this way. Although echoes arise from song, music, and even weeping, the tones of those songs and so forth are never in the sound of the echo. Know that all phenomena are in this way. When people who have something that they want in a dream awake and do not see it, they are fools to desire it and to cling to it. Know that all phenomena are this way. When magicians conjure up forms, creating various horses, elephants, or chariots, what appears to be there does not exist at all. Know that all phenomena are this way. When a young woman sees the birth and death of a son in a dream, she is delighted at the birth, but not at the death. Know that all phenomena are in this way. When reflections of the moon appear at night in clear, clean water, they are empty and vain, ungraspable. Know that all phenomena are in this way. A person tormented by thirst traveling at a midday in summer sees mirages as pools of water. Know that all phenomena are this way. Although water does not exist in a mirage at all, a diluted water being wants to drink it. It is false and undrinkable. Know that all phenomena exist in this way. Someone may peel away the watery trunk of a plantain tree looking for a pith, but neither inside nor outside is there any pith at all. Know that all phenomena are in this way. So the true existence of phenomena is no more real than the illusory beings in a dream that one has had. So that's what it's saying, that it's comparing the people in a dream, the hollowness of a tree in the inside, uh, saying there's nothing inside, there aren't any of these people in a dream. When you see a mirage, there's no water there. The intrinsic existence of phenomena is just as unreal, just as untrue. Tr as untrue. Then they, uh, the Rimshe, Chutsu Judan Karma Nishu, Lesson, Trio Dan Lenja, 
Den det det mor. Det luger. Okay, det luger. Det det. Mamma jo mare. Jag var mycket chaba. Chaba ju kunde rutu. Tala jaba ne. Shawatan, Kebatnya Okay, so we're going to now turn to question and answer. Um, because we would have got... Uh, no, let me read. <laughs> let me read first. I read it. Um, uh, number two. The example illustrates how the person is established under various names. 
When a chariot is imputed in dependence upon things such as wheels, those parts are appropriate and the chariot is the appropriator. Likewise, when a self is imputed in dependence upon the five aggregates, the six constituents, the six sources, they are appropriated and the self is the appropriator. Also, just as a chariot and his parts are posited as agents and objects, that self is the agent because it takes up the aggregates and so forth. The aggregates and so forth are the objects because they are what it adopts. Uh, Chandrakirti's commentary in the Middle Way says, Likewise, in terms of what is familiar to the world, the self is held to be the appropriator, in dependence upon the aggregates, constituents, and six sources. The appropriated are the objects, and the self is the agent. Also, as in the case of the chariot, when you analyze reality, a self is not found in any of the seven ways. Thus, while it lacks even the slightest trace of intrinsic existence, without analysis, it does not exist uh, conventionally. It, without analysis, it does exist conventionally. Teaching that what the self owns is also thereby established as lacking intrinsic existence. When reason searches to see whether the self intrinsically exists, it does not find it in any of the seven ways. Thus, when it is negated, when it has negated the intrinsic existence of the self, how could reason find the I that belongs to the self, etc.? Accordingly, that the self owns uh, what the self owns also lacks intrinsic existence. When yogis do not see any intrinsic existence in either the self or what the self owns, they, then they are liberated from cyclic existence. I will explain this below. Nagarjuna's fundamental treatise says, If the self does not exist, how could there be something owned by the self? And Chandrakirti's commentary on the middle way says, Since objects do not exist without agents, what the self owns do not exist without the self. Therefore, yogis are liberated through seeing that, what, that the self and what it owns are empty. On the strength of knowing that the self lacks intrinsic existence, you understand that what the self owns also lacks intrinsic existence. You should be able to understand this point and how to eliminate qualms about this point based on what I have said above. Okay, questions? I have a question. So, um, Jeff, can you hear me okay? Yeah. This um, is a bucket, right? And then when you're talking about emptiness, you, my understanding was, and I wasn't, I'm just probably saying the same thing, but I don't, I haven't seen emptiness, so I don't know, and I know there's many levels to it. But you said, here's a bucket, you pour water in it, then if you don't pour water in it, then it's, this is not a bucket. But that's incorrect. It still has its function. Right. It's empty right now. This is this is the point empty is, of is that this if you have a water bucket, is empty of inherent existence. Fact. But what we were using is the example. A couple of folks were getting jammed up with the word empty and understanding like what that word means and and were mystifying the word. And what I was just basically trying to explain was that the word empty just means that there's lacking something. There is something that's not there. So if we use the case of a water bucket, so it would have to be a water bucket or say a water bowl um, would be a better example because 
that's not that could be used for so many different things so whatever you would call it so let's use the example of a water bowl when the water bowl doesn't have water in it it's empty of having water in it so so that's what the word emptiness is referring to so when we look at emptiness in terms of phenomena what is this book empty of this book is empty of having a true self so this book doesn't have a true self. So in the, doesn't have and empty are the, mean the same exact thing. So that water bucket or water bowl doesn't have water. It's empty of water means exactly the same thing. So that's what we're saying. The word emptiness means in the context of Buddhism. So when you, you know that it means that it doesn't have something, then you, can, then you can figure out what Buddhism is saying that it doesn't have. So that's what the investigation is. You, just saying the word empty means that it doesn't have something. Something is, is missing something. We know there's air in the bucket, but we're talking about the specific thing that, that the bucket was meant for. So with that as the basis, um, so what, what I can ask Rinpoche anything. I just want to explain what I was trying to explain. Isn't this, an inf isn't this infinitely composed of infinite? infinite? Isn't, isn't this water bucket composed of infinite um, atoms? Causes. It's, 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 so it's, it's never empty. It's, oh, it's, it's, in, it's infinite. It does, there's no end to from where it's everything that came together to. That's why it's empty. This form, correct. But that's why that's it's what, empty. What needs to be explained? Yeah. Yeah. Think. That's why it's empty. It's because of how it, how it truly exists. It doesn't truly exist. That's why it's, it's empty. Is its true, its true existence. No. Well, its ultimate existence is its ultimate. It ultimately exists, but that doesn't mean it truly exists that way, because emptiness is empty. So true, lack of true establishment is not truly established. Emptiness is empty. So there, it's not truly, it's, it, that isn't its final resting place in terms of some ultimate reality. It means its ultimate reality isn't something that you can even find. It means that its ultimate reality isn't there. It's empty of it, doesn't have so it's missing of that. So I hope that wasn't unclear. I was just trying to explain how Buddhism and Jeffrey Hopkins and all of our folks are using the word empty. They're using it like there's something not there. It's not a mystical word. It's just the word that they've chosen to use to say that's, it's not there. It's missing something. A water bucket doesn't have water. It's empty of water. A gas tank doesn't have gas. You have a thing. It says E when you drive a car. It's empty. It stands for empty. It means you don't have gas. When you say that the self is empty, it means you don't have a self. When you say that it's empty of intrinsic existence, it means you don't have intrinsic existence. It's empty of that. It doesn't have it. It's just like when the gas tank hits E. There's no gas. There's no true self. That's what, what it's empty of. Can I just add, just a clarification on Yeah. Yes, no? I just want to make sure that we finished Katie's question. Does that, is that, 
I just want to make sure, because a lot of the question was in relation to what I explained about emptiness. Emptiness is, is about science, how, and I think a physicist, someone who understands how something comes into being, who understands all those small, tiny, tiny atoms that makes anything come into being, the infinity of it, like there's no, the ultimate, the ultimate reality of, of this bucket, for example, but just to say that this, this bucket is empty, it's not, the, the, the fact, something that doesn't sit right with me to say that it's missing something. That doesn't sit right with me. That emptiness means it's missing something. That does not sit right with me as truth, as 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 dark. But that is one hundred percent true. Missing something. It's missing something. It's missing. It means that it doesn't have true existence. A science. You don't even need a scientist. Everybody in this room knows that that was didn't just fall out of the sky. It needed someone to make it. There and I think we're saying the same thing. Plastic. I'm just saying I, the, there were plastic. There were pieces that had to come together. Yes, if a scientist looked at it, you'd find even smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller pieces that came together to make that. But whether there are 65 million pieces that you can name and describe, or the 15 or so that everybody in this room could come up with, we all know that there was a collection of things that came together to make that thing a vessel. It does not exist in and of itself without all of that collection. There isn't a bucket. There, it doesn't, there isn't a bucket without all of those other things. It, you don't have a bucket without those other things. You're empty of having a bucket without having those other things. So we're all say, we are saying the same thing. But sometimes like, it can daunt, be daunting if you say, well, you need a physicist. No, you don't. You just need someone to think there's a, some parts there that came together in order for it to be a bucket. But go ahead, I'm sorry, Terry. No, I, I wanted a clarification, I don't, no, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, no, I'm not sure. Um, when I think about emptiness, I, I have to think from the perspective of dependent arising. Right. Um, and, and so, Katie asked a question about function, and that to me is different from the bucket. The function, having the water in it, is, is sort of, it doesn't really, it's not, it, it's the function perhaps at the moment, but that doesn't really have to do with well, the how you would define it. of the bucket. Right, but it's how you would define a water bucket. It would be, how you would define a water bucket in Buddhism is you would say, it's able to perform the function of holding water. The definition of a pot is flat, bulbous, and able to perform the function of holding water. Anybody who was in debate class that they define everything. A color is defined so that we all have something to work with. So we say, how do you know it's a pot? Well, you know it's a pot because it holds water. It's flat, bulbous, and it's able to perform the function of holding water. And the world agrees that that which is flat, bulbous, and able to perform the function of holding water is a pot. So it's appropriate to call it a pot. So its ability to perform a function only comes into being when you're naming it appropriately. So you can't call it a car because it doesn't drive down the road. So you have to say, why is it a pot? It's a pot because it's flat, bulbous, and is able to perform the function of holding water. So that collection of stuff, that, plat that all those different things that came together 
to be able to make it able to perform the function of, ho of holding water is its dependent origination, and that's why it's able to be named pot. But you can't, without all of that coming together in the name, have a pot. The holding of the water, the function, right? It, it does not impact the dependent arising. No, of the pot. absolutely not. Okay. Whether the does pot the is empty or full, right. Right. it dependently arises right. and is empty. There's no, there's not an atom that isn't empty. There's not a molecule that isn't empty. Everything that is is empty. Yeah. So what does that mean? Everything that is does not have intrinsic existence. Everything that is does not have singular plurality, that which is both or causeless. So it doesn't have intrinsic existence because it is one. It doesn't have intrinsic existence because it's other. It doesn't have intrinsic existence because it's a collection of both. And it doesn't have intrinsic existence because it's causeless. The first negates the Samkhya school. The second negates the, the middle way autonomy school. The third negates the Jain tradition. And the fourth, the fourth negates the nihilist position. So. so we can understand this analytically. Yes. <laughs> but it's well. just stuff coming together right. and then being named. But the stuff coming together is still empty too. It's all empty. It's all yeah, it all does not have Correct. true existence. The, the atom is empty. Yeah, and the word empty in Buddhism just means lacks something. What is it lacking? Self. I think it's a tough word that they've chosen, but it is the word, in t the best word because in Tibetan. But if you say to it, if you use this word, tomba, and you try to say it to a Tibetan like, oh, my gas tank's empty, they don't know this word. This word's special. This is a special word that is specific to, to this kind of knowledge. Dependent arising is so much easier for, to Yeah. You know, that well, that is emptiness. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anybody else? But I, I think also, I think also I read somewhere you speak about emptiness or just say that you have seen emptiness or you know about emptiness. I read somewhere in the text somewhere, I can't say where. Yeah, an Arya superior being can't tell a non-superior being that they have seen emptiness. It's against the vow. We're understanding words. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And if you have an understanding correctly of those words, then there's no harm in explaining it, but one has to know that who you're explaining to is an appropriate vessel. And that's where you get into a jam explaining emptiness because everybody isn't ready to understand it um, so that's why it's a cautionary subject for sure because nihilism and substantialism are where you know 99.9 percent .9 of people who read about emptiness land um, even myself I'm landing there like not trying to say that oh and I'm in that special percentile uh, the middle way consequence view is so subtle that it really takes that, pat, that higher stages of the path of preparation where you have calm abiding and special insight 
to really be able to not fall a little bit into substantialism or nihilism because it's just so hard once you start bringing it all back to not feel like there's nothing tangible to hold on to. And then once you start to hold back on, then you're substantial again. So it's, it's, I've found that that's the hardest part for me. And that's what the texts speak of. You know, when you first read about emptiness, it seems so easy. Like, things come together, so there's a bunch of stuff. It's not one. But then you're like, well, why are there like a thousand books written on it this big if it's just that simple? And it's much more subtle and complex than just that's not, this isn't this because of that. Um, yeah. You can see as we read through this stuff that there's something else going on here that, it, that I'm missing or, you know, something. Something more subtle. Then a rimbache, lapcha, ribe, the domani, the the me mambo, the domani, le labodu, yene consu gutsogomare, then a me cache, sampa, domani, gutso tugomare, then a lapcha, ribe, the debts, debts, larona, then a natsu cagare, domani is the nazi, less so. Not the pomponga tubola tuna futuro. Matuber, not never the domani logres. Yeah, I guess we could just end because it seems like that's what Rinpoche was just saying that. Oh, we have another question. I'm so sorry. Uh, Rinpoche, I apologize. I didn't see you had the microphone. Rinpoche was just saying that uh, the best place to start when we think about emptiness is with the I and, and thinking about how am I here? How is this I, the Jeff, sitting here now? And then once we start to investigate, we'll realize that there's an, a dependence upon all of these parts that are here too in order for Jeff to be here. And once you see that it's a compound or a collection of things that came together and then served as a suitable basis of designation, then that's how you understand the, the emptiness or the lack of true existence of the I. Because you see that the I dependently originates is not something that exists singularly or without any kind of, of uh, causes and conditions. It comes into being through dependent origination. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry if I'm committing a faux pas here. I know you said uh, two weeks ago when we did the White Tower stuff not to talk about it at like coffee shops or anything. But I don't. So basically, we did that uh, White Tara initiation two weeks ago, and he and he sort of he, he outlined a, a means of meditating to you know visualize the White Tara. And I, you know, and every I said it. I didn't, you know, stop my standard meditation practice and just completely switch over to white Tara. But a couple of times since that two weeks have transpired, I've tried to, uh, you know, do that kind of white Tara meditation instead of my normal breath meditation. Mm -hmm. And you know, even even just two weeks out at where we are right now, I find that it's it's hard to remember everything that he went over in that first initiation. I mm -hmm. tried to go online and sort of 
look at Dharma talks and other things in the tradition, you know, I typed in, you know, white tar meditation to Google and stuff, and, and I found that there is, you know, there's just so much variation in how they have you visualize the white tar and stuff. So mm. I was wondering if there were any resources that I'd be able to consult with for how to do um, the white tar meditation in the style that I learned it during the uh, initiation two weeks ago. Okay, just real quickly, the initiation isn't the meditation. So that's where you it could get confusing because the initiation is uh, the process that brings you into the mandala basically, gives you the permission to be able to do the practice. So there's various, now there are practices that have those similar things where you're gathering and, and, and so forth, but that, those are very long meditation practices. <coughs> They're usually done more advanced practitioners. So I'll ask Rinpoche um, what he thinks, but generally you start with trying to imagine the deity in front of you and doing the mantras and then just imagining yourself as the deity through some very simple process. But let me see what Rinpoche says. Rinpoche, then Natsu Kanga, the Natsu Mambo, the Drunkard, Sewang, the Desong, then the Kong Computer, Kong, the Computer Nanga, the Lapcha Mambo Yure, then the Gagen, the Mambo Yure, then Drunkard, the Gomyakshu, Drunkard, the Gomyakshu, the Gomja. ね、ね、ね、カシェ、グッソゴマレ、でね、ゴムズグド。でね、でか、であれら、でヌトラ。でマンボでユレ、でベチャでで純マンボユレ、でコンピューターナンラ、でドンドンカー、でチナ、コ
and or separate separates and makes a separate deity and then you arise from emptiness as the deity um, so it's really everyone who has the initiation has the permission to do that I believe everyone in this room has attended one or more of them um, so I'm comfortable saying this but um, it's all Rinpoche said what's important is that it's from emptiness the arisal of the deity occurs and you can expand your practice more and more. Mine started with just doing the mantra and trying to visualize because the most important thing about it is holding a visualization. That's what we're, you're trying to get done. You're trying to hold the visualization so that you can then hold it with yourself as that visualization and then you can imagine yourself into a Buddha, basically. That's what Tantra does, is it uses your imagination. It's, you know how they say act as if? You act as if so that you leave imprints that are so clearly that, that you become it. So that's a very like simple way to explain Tara. I mean, to explain Tantra is acting as if. But as far as a resource goes, there is a book. Um, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get you the exact name of it. It's, uh, what is it? Uh, Kate, I told Katie the name of it. It's a white tar. It's called um, the, the Healing Nectar of Immortality is the text. Um, one of the authors, it's actually one of, uh, I believe, Trijung and Ashok Rinpoche are the two lamas um, that uh, are commenting. So Ashok Rinpoche and Trijung. Trijung was Rinpoche's teacher and actually gave him the white tar initiation. So that's a good resource, but that book is super advanced and just realize that, like, know who you are when you do practice, that's all. And I, I, I know, know that's hard to know who you are, <laughs> but you've got the gist of it. You do know if you know this beginning information. I could, I mean, we all know ourselves and what we have in our mind, and I think that if you fired 10 questions at yourself about the first chapter, and, and know you can answer them, then you know you know it, and you know you're ready to move to the second or the third. But Tantra is the resultant vehicle. The reason I practice Tantra is to leave imprints so that when I'm qualified to practice Tantra, I can and I have those connective imprints. But I focus on what will change my mind today. And, but that doesn't mean that you aren't already ready for Tantra. It just means that that's how I've gone about it, and I think that even in my most deluded states, I've been able to like really be honest, like kind of know what I know or don't know. And even if I was off for a week or two, you know, we're talking eons, so you can kind of get it wrong for a, a minute or two, even though you could die today. I'm just saying take the pressure off yourself to run the race and win because it's a long race. I don't have to, I just have to visualize Tara. I don't have to do any of those Buddha fields surrounding Tara's head or anything. There are those in the ultimate meditation, but can you visualize Tara and hold just Tara? Yeah, I could do that. I have much more luck with that than trying so, to visualize. So those. just get, you know, what you do with meditation is you start, it says with Kala Chakra, start with the part of a hand, you know, and then build it, build it, build it, build it, build it, build it, build it. Start with two arms instead of however many arms, 16 arms or probably more than 16. See what a good... Uh, so I'm just saying, like, build on it. Don't start at the end. Start at the beginning.
So it's like you get, you build this thing and build it and build it. And then once you get the whole visualization, they say you try to get it to the size of a mustard seed. Like, you know what I mean? So it's, you're building, building, building. Um, thank you for the teaching today, translating and which for recording. Um, in thinking about the child seeing its reflection in the mirror and not knowing, thinking it's a real person, hmm. I, I, I kind of think like, sorry, like the dogs are like that because I've seen my dogs look at the reflection in the fireplace glass mm. and they think it's a real another dog mm. um, but since they don't have a mother or society saying this is your hand this is your tail at some point I guess because of, of previous imprints that that do they when do they realize like oh that's me in that reflection not that they would understand maybe they're as dumb as a child a baby I mean, that's what I would say the true answer is, is they're not intelligent. They aren't smart. If they, are, if they think there's another dog there, they're as an unintelligent as a baby. If, but we don't know. They might be just barking at themselves. We don't know really what right. they're thinking, but there's only a couple options. Either so that we're misperceiving it or they are. They wouldn't have this grasping of mine? That's they my body? Uh, for themselves, but they aren't just like the baby grasps at I as a true, the baby is, I am here, I am here, I cry, I'm hungry, I'm sad, I'm cold. I f but, but there's got to be a moment where they realize, oh, that's me. Because in here, I, without a mirror, I don't know what I look like. The Rimache, the key, the the shigu dana, the key nipa tsanodan, then ba 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 jagdu. The ne, the kondan pugu, pugu, drapudu, gangesuna, the pugu, tsampa, the Pugo Nune Yure, Konso Hako Gomare, the Zuma. Then a key, it's Sampa, the key Nipa Nune. Then a the Drapudu Rimpache. Then a key, Dazin, Denzin, Yurebe. Yure. Then a Garshene Kon, the Dinga Yomare Hakogudu. Look, Kon Gupa. Ki gupa pugu chun chun gupa nipa chipa chipa then the nga shukma mena nge the dra kado kakogomare then nge pak kado kakogomare me genda nga malana dazin yurube okay so no matter if you can see yourself or not um, there, um, it, you're going to grasp at yourself as being truly existent. You see a reflection of yourself, you add to the details of what you think self looks like, but the grasping at self is still there. 
The Remache is saying the dog barking at its reflection is doing so because it's not an intellect, doesn't have the intellectual level to understand what a reflection is. Just like the baby thinks there's a second baby there, the dog thinks there's a second dog there. The dog, though, even though the dog doesn't realize that that's its reflection, it's, the dog is still grasping at itself as being truly existent and grasping at the second dog as being truly existent. That's that's a good way. That's true. That ignorance is instinctual. That's why the animal realm is lower than the human realm. And everyone always gets mad when they hear that. Well, my dog is so smart and it can right there, boom, bark. It knows no more than a baby and maybe even less. Right there, clean example, clean. So you know you can see why the human realm is better because we can think and analyze and figure it out and get to why that reflection isn't us and that reflection isn't truly us, and we aren't truly us. Open a refrigerator door, they come because they're instinctual. Right. It's time for food. Right. They, it's they're not saying, oh, the door is opened, and yeah, right. they're just saying, food. Anyone else? It's been great. Really, these discussions are great. Okay, sure. The one more question, then we'll get going. <laughs> There are no easy ones. <laughs> All right. Um, just uh, a question about emptiness. Okay. Now, you basically using the bowl as a means to describe it. Now, is emptiness dependent on its opposite? Um, does that... There has to have been full for their... Is right, that the, what you mean, to be well, empty? Do you need the bowl to have em- emptiness? Do you need a, emptiness's counterpart? Do you need substance or form in order there, for there to be em- emptiness? No. Okay, so no. it's just a means of description. Means of the description. Bowl being empty and not having water in it. In that case, but emptiness in the Buddhist case means that not only does it not have water in it, it means that that vessel itself isn't truly existent as a water pot because it dependently originates. Okay. So it, it's just this, it's not saying that it doesn't exist, it's just saying that it doesn't truly exist as a water bucket. Okay. Like so. that analysis, when you first perceive it, that analysis doesn't take place. So you, for instance, if you see a car you really like, right. your analysis doesn't say it's just a collection of parts and metal, it sees Ferrari. Right. So it's just that standing back and understanding that it isn't truly Ferrari. There isn't something out there that is so lovable by everyone that we all have to have it. It comes together. You've learned something about what's fancy, and then all of that comes together and turns into this magnificent thing. But there isn't a magnificent thing. It's all made up. Okay. Magnificent. There's a thing, but not a magnificent thing. You know what I mean in that case? I'm just trying to like make it a, a little bit clearer why emptiness my, is even a point that we're bringing up, I guess. Mike, I guess it's uh, looking for clarification in, in that 
emptiness is devoid of anything. No. So emptiness does have some type of substance? It's, when you say devoid of, you'd have to, what do you mean by devoid of anything? It means it's devoid of something very specific. Okay. Yeah, de- emptiness in the Buddhist context is very specific. So it needs the bowl. Uh, it needs, emptiness needs an object of some sort. It emptiness itself is empty, but we don't need to get into that heady right. business. Emptiness is empty, but in order for emptiness to be stated there has to be something that you're talking about so because you can talk about emptiness but the bowl itself the bowl's emptiness requires you to have a bowl to say that bowl is empty but that would just be why emptiness is empty that's why it's part of the reason why emptiness is empty but yes the bowl is just, we're only using a bowl as an, and you could use any subject in the universe you want to use. Every subject in the universe is empty. What does empty mean? It does not have intrinsic existence. What does that mean? It means that that thing's sitting there because of interdependence. It's not sitting there singularly without anything making it come into being. That's all it's empty of. It's only empty of that. That's the only thing that that word is being used for in that context. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. More sense. Yeah, take the bucket away. Say car. Why is a car empty? Because it dependently originates. It has tires. It has metal. It's a collection. It's a collection of stuff that came together. There's no car that's just out there without that collection. The tomba ni kali kapudu did seek indicate seek ngatsu empty gechishe yine empty detsken sapudu tsanlodang then the emptiness empty tsanlodang the sem mepa the tsanlo mepa shag the mambo tsanlo mepa shag then then the the me mambo tsampa the mota chuchen dang the pomba chuchen the tomba ni then tomba ni dondagare the dundan demba mepa then konsu tsampa mambo tsampa the mepa sha i was saying that emptiness is a difficult word because you arrive a lot when you use that word it just seems like nothing that word empty, when you say it, it sounds like nothing when, to us. And then it sounds like it could be a place, or it sounds like uh, it could be some truly existent nature that a, a thing has. Like, oh, you want to find out what, what, how it truly exists. It truly exists because you look and you find emptiness. Emptiness is, its, is the real thing here. When emptiness is as, as unreal as the pot. So it's not, emptiness isn't a final thing that doesn't dependently originate. Emptiness dependently originates because there's got to be something that is empty. It's empty of. And then there's a concept. Then there's someone coming up with the word empty. And the, so there's so much that is necessary for emptiness itself, that word 
to come into being. So we say emptiness is empty. What is it empty of? Being truly existent. So emptiness in Buddhism isn't God. It isn't what we have to, our final thoughts. It, it's just a way to describe how things really work as opposed to the way we think they work. And because we have it wrong, we act funny. And when we act funny, bad, like act negatively, because we're misunderstanding the whole thing, we arrive at bad consequences. Because according to Buddhism, non-virtue creates suffering and virtue creates happiness. So according to Buddha, our non-virtue is created because we don't understand how things really work because we, we see them as singular. We, we grasp at this I as being this thing that's permanent, partless, will always be here. There's always Jeff, and invincible and permanent, whereas uh, it really isn't. So we've got to end um, uh, there. Um, but yeah, emptiness is a tough subject. Karma is even more difficult than emptiness, which, believe it or not, but emptiness is a doozy. But luckily, emptiness is something that you can intellectually understand if you read it over and over and over again. You really can. And it's, there's a, something really important. When you're studying emptiness, you also have to simultaneously create merit. Uh, making, there's some connection to it. Take it or leave it, what I'm saying. But if you want to understand emptiness, accumulating merit while doing so will make your understanding of emptiness become clearer and you will arrive at what it means quicker by accumulating merit. Doing like circumambulation, making prostrations, um, just doing things that are more mundane that will help defeat pride and ego and accumulate the merit needed uh, in order to understand these subjects. Um, the story of Chudapantaka, just real quickly. It's the reason I'm thinking of this is Chudapantaka at the Chinese monastery. The papi, uh, the palanchungo, the go, uh, uh, go, the jai, tsulakang, uh, palanchungo, the go yure, Chudapantaka. Then ama, the kon, the sem yapio mare, then sanje segudu, then the samazu, then a sanje segudu, the gomja, the tsikashe gomja. Then more, 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 more. Then kepachaso. Um, so the story of Chudapantaka was that he was so um, ignorant. He was this monk that everyone made fun of, and he couldn't think very well, and he wasn't able to memorize. So the Buddha came to him and said, "Sweep the room." Uh, what, he said, "What can I do? I'm I'm not as smart as the other monks. What do I do at this monastery?" So he said, uh, "Start to clean the room, sweeping, uh, and as you sweep." Just say this, this thing over and over. Abandon dirt, abandon stains. So then, like another week later goes by, and Chudapantaka comes to Buddha, and Buddha says, Now say, abandon dirt, abandon stains. Here, uh, the dirt is my afflictions, and I want to abandon my afflictions. So then the Buddha expanded on it, and expanded on it, and expanded on it. And Chudapantaka was someone who was only able to memorize one line. And by the time he memorized the second line, he forgot the previous line. Um, and through this gathering of merit, um, and he was also simultaneously cleaning the monastery, um, and he was given various other duties of cleaning and so forth, which were accumulating merit and building upon his wisdom. And Chudapantaka became 
uh, a great a foe, Da Jomba Chaso Rimache, became a foe destroyer um, in that lifetime, uh, achieved the state of Arhatship. Um, so Shuddha Pantaka went from not being able to even memorize a second line to becoming liberated um, because of gathering merit. So there's some connection to gathering merit um, and uh, understanding and wisdom. Concluding mandala offering and dedication prayer. The fundamental ground is scented with incense and strewn with flowers, adorned with Mount Meru, the four continents, the sun and the moon. I imagine this as a Buddha land and offer it. May all sentient beings enjoy this pure realm. I dedicate whatever virtues I have collected for the benefit of the teachings and of all sentient beings, and in particular for the essential teachings of Venerable Lozandrapa to shine forever. I send forth this jeweled mandala to you, precious Guru. I dedicate all this virtue to emulate the knowledge of the hero Manjushri and likewise Samantabhadra as well. With whatever dedication is praised as supreme by all the conquerors who traverse the three times, I also dedicate all my roots of virtue for the sake of auspicious deeds. In that pure land surrounded by snowy mountains, you are the source of all benefit and happiness. All powerful Avogateshvara Tenzin Yatso, may you stay until samsara's end. I pray for the long life of the precious Kensar Wandok, upholder of scriptural and realizational doctrines, the spiritual friend who trained extensively in the five great philosophical texts, with exceptional wisdom and perseverance. Suji Rimbichi Gutsi Shapi Denalang. Natsu Lamrum Chemalangan Chemok.